So when I was uh, a kid, I was good at selling things. Like whenever we would do the um, gift wrap fundraiser for the school or right. have to raise money for a trip, I, I would not, I would always like, I remember one trip that we did. I not only like sold enough of whatever we were selling to pay for my trip, but I sold enough to pay for like three other kids trips. And, um, and you know, I'd get little jobs that when I was in high school, I got a job selling these air purifiers and it was that it was kind of, I mean, y'all remember it was like this thing in the nineties. There were those like electrode things that would make the dust kind of fall out. Right, right. And I got a job with this guy selling them. I was 16, 17 years old and I just sold them and I would make $650 a pop. Um, which is pretty good money. That's big yeah, money. yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Money. And so, uh, and I was good at selling them. And I, I remember like one summer um, making a lot of money selling these air purifiers. But then I kind of had this moment of clarity where I was like, I don't know that I really believe in this product. Like, I, I don't know that I really believe that people actually need this, that I'm that I actually believe. And that's a big problem. Yeah, that I actually believe in what I'm selling. And so I just kind of started off doing this because it was an opportunity to make money. And, you know, I knew the objective was to sell them. But I had this like great moment of clarity to the point where I quit doing that. And that kind of began this question in my life that is like, okay, if I'm going to give my life to something, and if God's given me the ability to be an influential person or somebody that can influence people in a certain direction, what is the thing that I most believe in, that I think is most fundamental, that is most core that I can that I'll never doubt people's need for it, that I'll never doubt, uh, you know, why I'm actually doing this. And, you know, there was other experiences along the way, but that, that is what ultimately led me to Christian ministry. This was like the one thing that I believe, okay, at the base level, um, you know, people need a house, right? right? People need a job, sense of purpose, but people need a relationship with God. And, and, and if I can give my life influencing people to know and to love God and to and and to, I would say to receive his good plans and purposes for their life, that's what I want to give my life to. So I think that that idea of entrepreneurship and the ability to sell something or the ability to influence people in a certain way is actually a big part of my story in terms of what led me to Christian ministry. Wow! Hey guys, uh, Steve Beach, and welcome to another Beach Talks. And we've got Jason Dees with us today. He's pastor of Christ Covenant Church down in Buckhead. And I thought it'd be nice to have him come on and explore church, church as a business, church as a purpose, and how that can kind of some things that they're doing in church that might could help us in our business or our personal life. So, Jason, thank you for being here. Great to be today. here, man. I love your setup here. I, uh, we call it Garage Safari. You know, we got I can hang dead, out here dead all day, animals man. and everything. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, my son Connor was telling me about your 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 bookcase and everything. I mean, all the books you've got in your treehouse or what? Do I you got call a treehouse. I got my own little safari thing. Do you so. read a lot? I do. I, I I read more when I was a younger man. I mean, you know, I have three kids, ten, eight, and six, and just between all the work I have, I mean, I ha the nature of my work. I read. I study. I'm preparing sermons. I used to read a lot more just at night for pleasure or just take time to to read. Um, so yes, I, I would still say I'm a reader. I would, <laughs> but just the nature of, I mean, last um, night I was at the ball field till eight thirty. I mean, the nature of parenting three kids and all the busyness of life. Uh, I have less time for that in, in this particular moment. But no, I love, I love the written word, brother. 
So one one of the things, like when I wrote my books and I started doing speaking and stuff, you know, and I'd have to build a speech and pretty much I kind of feel like I, I'm the same as like a, a musician, you know, like, you know, the Doobie Brothers play and they play the same songs every time. So it's kind of like that when you're speaking and you're writing about your book. But I'm always fascinated how pastors, it's like you got to have 52 different messages. Now you can say maybe 40 different messages because Easter's Easter and Christmas is Christmas and stuff like that. How do you go about saying, this is what I want to talk about on Sunday? How do you do that process? Well, I mean, our, our, I have a process. I mean, obviously we, a lot of times, a lot of times we're working through books of the Bible. Uh, so right a now, series kind of right now we're working through the book of Exodus. And so now I'm not preaching the whole book of Exodus um, you know, chapter by chapter, but but we're looking at it in terms of you can understand the story arc of the whole book. I'm preaching in 11 weeks. And so then I have those texts that, you know, help. So I start with the text. I mean, I'm starting with this is the text. This is what God's revealed. And and then obviously the, the, the tricky process is um, how does, what is this saying? You know, I think that's like right. the first stop. How does this fit into like God's redemptive story? And then how does that apply to a person on the ground? And, and I think actually that process is, is a, a, if you think about running the basis kind of of a good sermon, you know, you, you start with your text, you first go to what is the historical, um, wh- what is the you know, literary context of this passage, and how do I understand the context of what was being said in this passage, in this time, in this place? Then from there, I can understand that idea, that story. So I've started to work on, I'm actually not preaching this week, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking about my sermon for next week, okay? And it's an easy one. It's, this is a softball for the next step, but it's the story of the Passover, uh, Exodus 12, where God visits the Egyptians. It's an incredibly powerful passage. Uh, God visits the Egyptians with this plague of death to the firstborn child of every household, but of course, the, the Hebrew people are all spared. Those that have the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their house. Okay, so at, at dawn or at dusk, rather, the Hebrew people would sacrifice a lamb. They took the blood of the lamb. They spread it on the doorposts of their house. And at midnight that night, judgment came. But if you had the blood of the lamb on your house, you were spared from that judgment. Okay, so that's, the, that's what's going on in history. And of course, there's a whole historical context there. But now I want to fit that within God's redemptive context to this bigger picture of how God is redeeming the world. And again, that's an easy one. That's a softball because, again, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and if his blood is applied to our lives, then we don't have to fear God's judgment. We have fellowship with God as his covenant people that he has blessed. And so now from this kind of redemptive context, I can apply that to you know, to, to an individual, to, to how does you this bring that to them? Per, that how way does you this make now it speak to us? Yeah. Right. Where are you? Is like, that key? do you know the Lord? Do you, you know, have, have, are you in covenant relationship with God? Like it, it, when, when mid, the midnight of judgment comes, like, are you, are you ready to face the Lord? Do you know that uh, the redemptive work of Christ has been applied to your life? And so now we can kind of push that into a response for our people. So that's kind of my little, you know, that little diagram that I just drew in the air here is uh, a little bit of how I try to think about preaching a text. Now, sometimes we're not working through a book like that. Um, like we just did this series, You Have Heard It Said. And 
that's what I call like more of a discipleship-oriented sermon series where I'm trying to think about, okay, where are my people? What are the real questions they're asking? And how can I just help them apply the Bible to that. So it comes out of a text-by-text kind of analysis or what I would just say like more of a pastoral analysis of like, what are the actual questions that my folks are dealing with that they need help on kind of right now? So how do you know that? Well, we have, you know, 21 elders and our elders are in touch with all of our members. So Christ Covenant has about a thousand members. Y'all meet to talk about it? We meet and talk about it. And so, and, 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 and sometimes we talk about it formally most of the time, it's informal, right? I just, right. hey, so and so's dealing with this, or a lot of people have come to me recently asking this question, um, or you know, a lot of people are talking about this right now. How, what does the Bible say about this? So you're you're just picking it up through life in the body, through you know the relationships that I See, have with I, guys like your son. I think that's awesome because I think a lot of people in business they're thinking about what they want to sell and what they want to talk about. They're not really thinking about what their customer wants, right. what the need is of the customer. Because ultimately, I think that's one of the reasons why somebody like you has done a great job of growing a church is because I can go in there on Sunday and go, oh, that, that touched me today, or, he, or, or that was something I needed today. And I think a lot of churches aren't doing that, right? They're just preaching it and they're saying yeah. it, and and they're not really thinking about their customers. In one sense, you and I are kind of doing the same thing every week. You don't control LIBOR; those things are set. Right. Those things are out there, and and what you're and there's products that are out there, and what you're trying to do is the product that's out there that's a set, real, true thing. You're trying to figure out how do I apply this to an individual, to a personal situation in a way that ultimately serves them and will be good for them. And that's really what I'm doing too. So how do you, how do you build a church? Well, that's a great question. I mean, so my, my story, my experience, uh, I, I have only before this, this is my first startup, you know, right. kind of thing. That's awesome. Um, before this, I was more of a turnaround guy. You know, I, I, uh, I went to a small little country church that just needed a breath of fresh air. And I was, I was in seminary. I pastored that church, and it was an amazing experience for me. I went to a church in Covington, First Baptist Covington, that, you know, the church just, it had gotten into massive debt. The only reason they hired, I was 26 and single when they hired me. So this will just show you how desperate this church was. I, and it wasn't because I was good. It was, I was the only guy they could afford, right? I mean, they were broke. They needed direction. They needed something. And so... You know, they took this Hail Mary to hire this guy, and the Lord blessed it, and it worked. And and we were able to reestablish vision, rewrite the bylaws, kind of change their order of structure. And But but really, fundamentally, it, it was centered on what we just talked about, the preaching of the Word. Like, it, when, when, when people get centered around the Lord and a love for the Lord and what God has revealed, and they understand it, and they realize, okay, God, the God of the universe is actually speaking to me. There, there is an enormous excitement and stability and peace and sense of vision and unity that comes from that. Um, and so th- that's been my experience. Then I went to Birmingham. It was kind of the same thing. It was, a, it was a turnaround situation. But coming here to Atlanta to start Christ's Covenant, I mean, you know, you just get started. I mean, like, how do you build a business? I mean... All right, but you, you got to jump in the lake, right? right you got to yeah. jump out there. What so, got you... What made you say, you know what? I really oh, what made me do. make this jump? Yeah, what, what was the, the trigger for that? Well, I mean, you know, I hate to sound too spiritual here, Steve, but I mean, they're really, I really had a sense of calling toward it. And, I, and again, I think that 
that's not just true for pastoral ministry. I mean, people I, can get Colin for a lot of things. I think right? so, and I and I would. And it, it's the, the whole point of the story I told earlier earlier about the air purifiers. Like, what is the thing that you are passionate about? Yeah. I mean, I mean, even to your business, finding people. I mean, how how amazing is the mortgage industry? I mean, I love my house. I love living in it. It's where my kids are being raised. It's where, you know, I have these amazing experiences. I have friends over. I mean, what a gift is a house. Well, there's no way I could have ever done that without a mortgage. And so what you're doing provides people a tool. It's a bridge to the physical location where most of their life is going to happen. Do you think a lot of people in business don't really understand the depth of what they're doing? Well, I think a lot of people don't have any... There's not a lot of intentionality towards it. So I think that's what I'm trying to say is what are you called to? Is it to? more purposeful? What are, the, what are the things that you're good at? What are the things that you're passionate about? Um, what are the things that you believe are going to, uh, you know, I would say like build and cultivate culture? I mean, in the very beginning of the Bible, what is the first thing that God says to Adam? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Take dominion, fill the earth. And so... In a sense, when you go out there and work, you are taking dominion of something, and you're filling the earth. You're making the you're you're building culture. You're making the earth more profitable, better, and so I, I do think that sense of calling, like how does the Lord want you to fill the earth? How how has the Lord wired you and given you passion and experience for that you can fill the earth? And so, well, but people people will tell you they don't feel that they they they. You know, they like certain things, they enjoy what they do, but there hasn't been this overwhelming sense of, oh my gosh, I got to go over here and do this. Right. I got to go, this is what I'm supposed to do for, for my people that I meet. And, and I think there's two sides of that coin, okay. right? So, so at some base level, um, there is this, I mean, I think what we're talking about here is like a theology of work. Like, wh how do we understand what work is? Well, not everybody feels called to what, you and I are lucky. Right, okay? right. I mean, I, I feel like I'm called to do what I'm doing. I feel like it's very, I call it purposeful. I had to relook at how I viewed the world, and I, I changed my lens, and I feel like what I'm here to do is to help people get from where they are to where they want to go. Yeah. So I, I view every interaction that way. Yeah, And I'm trying to teach other people to think about that. And I think passion is a lot of times different than purpose. I don't think they're necessarily the same thing. Purpose to me is more like a calling. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. And so when you get that purpose and you get that calling and you get up every morning, you, 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 there's right, a little, right. and, little and, more well, in your step. But, right? and, and I think what I was trying to say is I, I do think, I think what we're talking about now can be misunderstood and a little oversold. I, I do think that at some level – you know, my granddad was a postal worker, okay? You know, he got up every day and delivered mail. Now, is that purposeful? Can be. It, of course it is. I mean, it's correspondence. It's it's how you connect with the world. It's right. how people pay their bills. It's how commerce happens. Like, the mail is an incredibly important part of our lives. And, you know, it's, it's, it's human touch. It's interaction. I mean, the written word. I mean, how amazing it is to get a letter. So in a sense, he had a part of all, it's college acceptance. It's, you got this new job. Yeah. I mean, think That's of awesome. all of the interactions that happen through the mail. Of course it's purposeful. Now, and I never talked about this. But not every mailman sees his job purposeful, and some really do, right? It, it is purposeful, but it may not be his passion. I mean, it may not be the thing that he's most passionate about. Okay. You know, and I and so I think you're right. I do think purpose and passion. You you can be doing something that's incredibly 
purposeful. And maybe the, the, the weight of that purpose will give you a sense of passion. Um, you know, but I think, those, I think those are all things that we should think through. And I think what, what we're talking about right now is people just don't give these things thought. Like, how is what That's I'm key, doing here connected to a bigger and a better purpose? Or did I just kind of stumble into this? Am I just accidentally doing this? And I think once you, you know, it's to the point of the, the air purifiers that I was talking about earlier. I, I was making a lot of money. But I realized, like, I don't really believe in this. And, of course, I was a kid in high school. So I had the freedom to quit doing that and obviously to get a different job. But I think that's that's the kind of thing that I would hope that your listeners are thinking through. Like, can you connect what you're doing to a purpose that you really believe in? I think if you can, passion seems to grow. But I also don't think that your work has to be you know, your main passion. I mean, some people, they have a job that's a good job that supports their needs, and they're really passionate about a place where they volunteer. They're really passionate about, you know, their local church where they serve and, you know, they can support that because of their work. I mean, and I think that you want some passion in your work, right. but you may have passions outside of your work, and that's a good, that's not a bad thing. How do you discover your passion and purpose? Well, your passion, I think, is pretty simple. It's just things that interest you, things that excite you. A lot of times, I think it's things that like, that bother you. Actually, like you know, I can I can make this better. The, you know, a oh, lot okay. of times it's the things that bother you are the things that you may be being called to. Um, you know, I don't know if you ever had a mo- moment where you looked at the mortgage industry and you said this could be done in a better way. I, I no <laughs> one's doing this the way we do that every day. Yeah, no <laughs> no one's doing this the way that it should be done. And I think that's that that can be related to. You know your particular passion or your you particular can take a calling, pain and try right. to figure out how to work it out. To me, purpose is 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 what I'm doing lined up with God's greater purposes for the world. And if it is, then I can find purpose in things that, again, I don't necessarily really like to do. Uh, you know, I I don't. I mean, some guys like love yard work. I don't really love yard work, but I I believe that God has like called me to keep an orderly household, and so. That's something that I'm going to do, and I'm going to make sure that my house is in order because I believe that pleases the Lord, even though it's not a passion of mine oh, particularly. It, 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 it's, it's, a little, it's a reflection of what I believe pleases God. And so I think that you, know, you can have this sense of, I mean, the, the, the idea on purpose is, is what I'm doing, does this align with the things that God delights in and that God is for and that God has created the world to be? And, 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 you know, we were just talking earlier about a culture. Like, when, when people have that mindset, people are going to do business honestly. Uh, you're not going to have a lot of industries that are, I mean, are really only exist to corrupt the human soul. I mean, there, there are whole industries out there that are just totally based on, like, you know, I think of, like, a, a you know, a strip club industry or pornography industry or whatever. Like, what, what is the purpose in that you know, it, it really, if you kind of connect it, it, it only leads to like the destruction of families and addictive attitude behavior. I mean, things that are ultimately destructive to people. Yeah. But of course, those industries exist because they're very profitable. They make a lot of money. People, there are customers. But if that's the only thing that you're basing, you know, what you're doing your life on is, is there going to be customers out there? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, there, there's going to be customers to a lot of things that don't ultimately you know, make the Lord happy or delight the Lord. And I think that when, what I would hope that the people in my church and, and obviously people in our community 
as they're thinking about the things that they're called to, they're doing in life, are these things that are reflective of God in some way? So let's talk about the money of church. How does the money of church work? You know, my guy goes to church and he puts his money in the offering plate. That's a great question because I, I think how people, does that work? people have no idea. I have no this. idea. Yeah, I mean, I've had people just say like, you know, like, do, do you just take a percentage of the tithe for yourself? So, well, I hear in some churches they do that. Well, they give the yeah. pastor a day, I, and I, he gets to keep everything I, in the collection. I will say this: like, I, the answer to your question is it depends on the church. You know, <laughs> there are a lot of churches out there that have. Because I did a loan for a pastor one time, and he says I get a bonus twice a year, and he yeah. said I do a sermon, it's and the I love get offering. To, I, yeah, love, yeah. I get yeah. to keep all of that, and, and I think was a good number. I think that there are. So there's different churches that are set up in different ways, you know. Well, that's uh, a basic ABC church. Yeah, I mean, I think the way our church is set up, and I think I think this would be reflective of a lot of churches, but it's certainly not all, is people, you know, obviously give, and that goes into, uh, you know, a pile of money that's ultimately uh, overseen by the congregation. I mean, we are a congregational church. Now, the congregation appoints a finance team, and so we have a committee of seven people that help to manage, and then, of course, we have church people, and so that team and the church, and then with input from the congregation, we create a budget, and we have goals in that budget. So, um, you know, we want to give at least 10 to 15% to missions, things outside of our church. We want to give, you know, right now, because we're building and, you know, we want to make sure there's about 25 to 30 percent in there for um, what we'll just we're just calling like our capital or operational costs. savings to spend later. Savings, uh, the building that we are you know getting into, uh, you know mortgage payments, the operations of the building that includes everything from the maintenance of the building to you know light bills and everything else. So that's about 25 or 30 percent. And then we have a, a you know we try to keep our personnel costs 40 to 45 percent. And then, you know, the rest is spent for what we call like ministry budgets. So, you know, different, uh, you know, the different ministries of our church, like the children's ministry over the resources, the events that they're putting on, um, they, those go into different things. We're actually in the budgeting process right now. So that budget is created and different ministries have their budgets. Um, th- some things obviously are just kind of set, like we're talking about, like, you know, the mortgage payment is... You know that's a number, but is but it but a church is probably no different than a business. When you're starting out, your money's going different places than when you've been around a while and you got money coming. Right, and in, so right? and so obviously those percentages that I just gave you have changed. You know, in as the, you grow in the five or six years that we've. I mean, early on it was it was much more highly personnel because we didn't have any money and I was you know needed a, a salary right? right, and and I was about the church's only major expense, but. Obviously, now we've hired a you know larger staff. We're doing more missions work. We we didn't have a building early on. I mean, so there's there's things there's decisions that the church has been making along the way. But we've kind of established some like you know I would say the congregational input is more establishing those guidelines of this percent for this, this percent for this, this percent for this, and then of course as the church grows, we can kind of divvy up. Okay, what is the best way to spend this? And we have a personnel committee. Again, full of lay people that help us figure out okay, what are the next best hires that we can make. And obviously, they they trust me and my leadership and our other staff members to help guide that. So it's not, you know, they're not just showing up and making these decisions, obviously. But there, there's oversight from the congregation on really how every dime of our church is spent. And that's, I think, the way it should be because 
you know, the, the, this is not a for-profit business. I mean, our, our goal here is to collectively, as a congregation, achieve greater kingdom impact and greater kingdom ministry. So does the giving from the people in the church have seasons? Like, you know, in the mortgage business, the spring and summer is better for us than the fall yeah. and winter. Does that same thing happen? I mean, it, it's not so like it's the, the same uh, money in the offering plate every week, no, right? No, 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 no. That'd be not, it'd be, be good? nicer if it was that way, it'd right? Budget it'd, better, it'd be right? easier to cash flow, right? Um, no, I mean, you know, December, end of the year is obviously, I mean, December might be as much as two or three, you know, three or sometimes even close to four months. I mean, you can get... So December's big. It's a big month. And then, um, and, and that's just because a, a lot of What's people... What's the worst month? A lot of people, that is how they give. They give, like, they don't give throughout the year. And then, bam. And then, because they're just kind of, that's how they manage their money. And, you know, we have a lot of pe- people, especially kind of the more higher capacity givers that give through a donor advised fund, those kinds of things. So a lot of that comes in late year. Um the worst months, uh, you know, are usually kind of your midsummer months. People on vacation. But you know what? It, well, in our church, and this is kind of the new way, and we don't even have like a time where we pass the plate. I mean, because everybody basically gives online. Now, we talk about money and we, we so you don't make pass it a point. the plate. We do not pass the plate. Now, we have an offering box that you can put your money in on the way out. But I mean, it's an expectation of membership. Um, we're not gimmicky with it. I mean, one of the, the big principles that we, in, you know, in Second Corinthians, Paul talks about each one should give as he's decided in his heart. And so the way that we say is like, look, when you, when, the way that you should do this, generosity, is, you, you know, and this is kind of, you know, we're getting close to the season that people should start doing this. When you start thinking about 2023, you should say, okay, what are my goals for 2023? So, you know, I want to save this much. You know, this is going to be my living expenses. And I want to give this much and set a goal for it and then create a plan to achieve that. But that sounds like if you if people are doing that, maybe other, and I would assume that's happening with other churches, then what I've, I'm thinking is that's going to give you a more consistent cash it flow. It does. Because people are going to say, I'm going to give you $1,200 this year, so I'm going to give $100 a month. So it's a little, is it more it, it consistent does, than it used to be? The way people make money these days, you know, I feel like more and more people, especially in a city like Atlanta, um, the way people make money is not, you know, it's there may be a salary, but there's also big slugs here and there. Yeah, I get a bonus, or I they sell get a bonus, or there's my a big, grandmother big deal. died, or something. That's like that. right, and so it's those things that create the divergence. But but we have a, I mean, most of the months are pretty consistent, and then there'll be a month where there's just a big hit. There'll be a month that's a little less. Um, but really, those back end months are are usually really good months for us. So, so how about advertising and marketing from a church? Yeah, standpoint? you know, we don't do a lot of that. I mean, we have an Instagram account. Um, I mean, most of ours is just word of mouth, um, and and I'm not against that. I mean, you know, actually, we're we're, we're about to move into this building, and we're gonna. We, there's a lot of billboards over Armor Yards. And we're actually going to do a billboard that just says grand opening, you know, Christ covenant grand opening, you know, and just to kind of let people know we're here, we're in this place. But I mean, that's one month. It's not like a big part of our, um, you know, strategy. It's mostly just relationship to relationship to relationship. All right, to relationship. So word of mouth is that's how we build our business. How do you create more word of mouth? 
Yeah. One of the things we talk about at Christ's Covenant, and I think, you know, if I was, I would encourage any person this way, and I think it's just reflective of how God actually desires us to be, but I, I call it a culture of pursuit. We call it a culture of pursuit. And we can't control, you know, how people will respond. You, you can't control if somebody's going to buy a mortgage from you or not, but you can pursue them you know, you can have a culture of pursuit. And, and I think that's kind of how we are as a church. Like, I, I can't necessarily control someone's spiritual outcomes. Um, but as a pastor, as an elder, you know, especially if they're a member of our church, I want to pursue godliness in them. I, I want to be checking in with them. I want to be making sure that they're engaged in a group, they're reading their Bible, they're coming to worship, they're serving somewhere. And so we, we talk about that as just a posture, who are you pursuing? Are you? Do you have? As everybody in the congregation, who are you pursuing? That's is right. Somebody it's not just there, me. Yeah. No. 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 It's it's our elders. We want you to be thinking about who you can pursue. And, and if really, they end up here. They end up here. If they don't, they don't. But the whole well, idea and, is, and really, the pursue is that they would become disciples of Jesus. So you know, I want to pursue disciple making relationships with people. I remember I had a a friend that you know I really poured into, and. Um, I would have loved for this friend to have come to Christ's covenant, but, you know, basically, you know, I really poured into, I helped lead this person to faith in Christ, and this person was like, well, you know what, I really think I'm going to go to this other church. I was like, okay, great, but, you know, the, the goal was met. They're, you know, they're, I want them to see, in a, in a, I want them to be in a thriving relationship with the Lord. Um, and so, but that's really the culture of pursuit that we ask for all of our members, you know, is just, as you as a disciple of Christ, you're called to be a disciple maker, and we do that by pursuing godliness in one another. Uh, and we do that by having meaningful relationships with one another. So, I mean, I would say Christ Covenant is a very relational church. We have not bought into the, you know, I mean, we do our, we have a lot of content available online, but, you know, we don't, and we don't say, we don't ever celebrate if you've like streamed our service online. We, we don't say you've come to church. We, you know, it's, you've just consumed Christian content. You know, that's all you've done. You, you, you know, to be a, God has not called us just to consume Christian content, but to be a part, to be a part of a worshiping body of believers. And so we're calling people into the fellowship of the saints. Um, and we want people to pursue one another and to pursue those in their sphere of influence outside of the church also. I want to know about relationships and you're, you're, you know, how do you, how do you go about uh, developing relationships with people? I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, you ask how you get a church started. Um, you know, you take somebody to coffee one day, you, you take somebody to lunch and, you know, at first all you have is a vision, you know, it's like, Hey, we're, we're trying to start this church. And it's just like everything else. They, they, at first, in the early days, uh, people would say, "Well, I'll pray for you," you know, or <laughs> I'm wishing you the best. Yeah, of luck. let me know how that goes, right? Yeah, and I'm sure you had that too when you're building your business. Oh, people gotcha. would say, "Well, let me know how that goes. I'm I'm happy for you. Good job." But I'm going to keep doing my mortgage shopping with this established company over right, here, right? Right, right? And I think that's we. Ha I had a lot of that in the early days of Christ Covenant. I, but it was mostly my whole day was, you know, I'd get coffee with this guy, get lunch with this guy. Uh, now my day You're is out like, marketing, trying to build relationships, just building relationships, which yeah. is what everybody does. Now, now my day is, you know, much more organizational management. I mean, I've mm -hmm. still built a lot of relationships with people, but you know, I'm leading a staff, I'm leading a team. It, there's an organization that's been built out. Um, you know, it's the, it's the two or the through, it's still all about relationships, but two I'm or through. Yeah. I used to be able to relationships to people. I was 
ministering to people, but now I'm having to minister through people. We've built a staff, we have elders, and so it's the same thing that you're doing. I mean, you've well, hired that, a staff. That's, that's pretty cool. I hadn't thought about that. So, you know, you do a loan to a person, and then maybe you stay in contact with them through the relationship to go through them for them to introduce you to other people. Or, or for you, you know, hiring other mortgage brokers underneath you that, are, that well, you're yeah. working through and those people are ultimately representing the company that you're trying to build here. And so, um, but yeah, in those early days, and you, I didn't have any proof of product, right? I mean, there was, uh, you know, I didn't really have a worship service people to come to. It's like, hey, help me get this thing started. So getting people to, to, to buy into what we we're trying to do was really hard early on. Now, of course, like people come, they worship, they're, they see the experience they're in. It's, it's, you know, and so I'm not, I'm not having to do that. I mean, people are coming and you don't have to do that anymore. Um, but that's how, you know, in those early days we got started. And, and, and I would say like, if you're, you know, you try to help people to make the next step, here's how, you know, if you're going to be better as an entrepreneur, as a leader, or just as a part of an organization. And, and one's not better than the other, right? I mean, right. I think we can celebrate entrepreneurship. I mean, I think some people, they make a mistake. They, they, they actually are a part of a great organization. They should just stay there. They're, they're, they're serving well there. They're doing their, what we just talked about. They're filling the earth through that. It's, you know, it, it really comes down to, you know, are you, are, you, are you really willing to be like the one who takes responsibility for the success or failure of this organization? I mean, to me, leadership is so much about willingness to take responsibility. I mean, kind of the buck stops here deal. It's, exactly. it's like, am I really willing to, you know, for this thing to fail? Um, and if you're willing for it to fail, if you're willing to ride the ship into the ground, then you're probably ready to start something, you know, right. because That's you're, you're, you're really ready to take responsibility for it no matter what happens. I mean, and for us, I, I was pastoring a church in uh, Birmingham that, you know, as much success as we've had at Christ's Covenant, you know, just now are we about the same size as the church that I left in Birmingham. And so it's, I've kind of come from a similarly sized organization to where we are now after we've had all this success. But of course we were, you know, we're starting from scratch over here, but we were, had this church, we had a, you know, $20 million building, we had all this staff. And so, you know, I had a pretty good thing going there, but we really felt called to what the Lord was doing here, what we thought the Lord was going to do here. And and so, but I had to I had to accept that. It's like, okay, it's not necessarily going to be successful. Like yeah. you might go over there and people are gonna be like, you are a total idiot. You left this great thing and you did that and you totally failed. Um, and I told Paige, I was like, you know, we, we may have to just kind of do this for three years, it fails and you know, I'll have to go get another job somewhere else. And How do you talk to yourself during that process? What are you saying to yourself to keep you motivated to go in that direction? They're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in here, and I'm not, I'm not gonna give up. Or do you have? The, I call them tapes. I think I find a lot of people have these little things that maybe their grandmama told them or their teacher told them or something. Yeah. Do you have a tape that you play? One of the something? big ones that I play often, it, it, and this is what my dad always told me. And he always says, I mean, it's, it's a, my dad's name is John D's, John, a John D's ism. He just says, look, son, all you need to really do is just do the next right thing. And I just think that is such a good word because if, Beautiful. if you're, 
if you've had the best success, you you sell a hundred mortgages in a day. Uh, you know, you've you've had the best day that you've ever had in business. You know what you need to do? You, you need to do the next right thing. Like, don't stop doing the next right thing. Oh, that's good. Or if like you that's haven't good. sold a mortgage in a month and everybody says your mortgage is the worst thing I ever bought, you know what you need to do? Just keep doing the next right thing. Just just figure out what is the next thing that the that will please the Lord that God has called me to that I'm supposed to be focused on today. And, and I'll be honest, there was a lot of days in, in those early times. Um, you know, I remember, you know, it was in that time. And I, I you come over here with high hopes. It's like, man, and, and even like some of the people that were over here, we had support from Johnson Ferry Baptist, and all these people got on the email list, and they were like, yeah, there's going to be all these people that are come with you. But it, it really only was about 10 people. It wasn't, I mean, right. you know, there was right. a lot of people on the email list, right. but pr- people that actually wanted to do this, um, there wasn't that many people that would do it. And I would go to lunch with these people. And I remember a lot of people just thought that, like, Bryant Wright, was, who was the pastor at Johnson Ferry, was a little older at that time. And they thought that he was just doing this to kind of put a successor in place for himself. And they were like, I just wanted to meet the next pastor of church. I was like, no, that's, <laughs> that's, that's not, not what this what is. Why doing. did you put yourself on the email list? Like, we're trying to start a church here. And so it was very discouraging. And, um, and you know, also during that time, there was a guy in Birmingham that I thought was a, a friend of mine, and and he had kind of like bad mouthed me for, I, and I still don't really know why. Like it's just like jealousy. Why did that? I don't know. Like I just don't know. I've never been able to figure out. Um, he was another pastor, but he kind of ruined a potential relationship that we could have had. That was actually a big blow early on, and that had happened. And I had all these little. But you did the next right thing. I did the next right thing, and I have this. It's a great story. Um, I was, it was that, you know, time and I was really discouraged and nothing, it was like nothing good was happening. And I, there was this woman that was kind of interested in the church and she'd put her name on the email list and I was like, yeah, you know, she doesn't, she, she's going to say, I'll pray for you. Um, and so, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to go meet with her. And the only time she could meet was like at 6.30 a.m., like way up here. And of course we're living down there and I was just like, Okay, like I'm going to come out and I'm at the, we met at a coffee shop and I'm giving her the spiel and I'm, you know, it's that moment where of course I'm waiting for her to say, let me know how that goes or I'll pray for you. And this is, this is not like a millionaire. This is not like, you know, Billy Graham. This is just a normal woman and just a, a, an awesome regular lady. And she, in that meeting just said, well, I'm all in. And when she said that, I mean, it was like the same feeling that I had when Jorge Soler hit that home run against the Astros last year. It was like it was like a bolt of electricity just shot through my body, and it was like, okay, I can do this. And you know, I wow. think I, I just consider that like the Lord's kindness. And I think if you're, you know, there there is something, Steve, and I think this is advice I would just give to anybody, whether you're in business or your husband or your wife or your child or whatever, whatever, whatever stewardship you have. Like faithfulness, just being faithful to do the little things that the Lord has called you to. If you're faithful in the small things, what you're doing is you're always sowing good seeds. Always sow a good seed. You can sow good seeds, you can sow bad seed. Always sow a good seed. And, you know, it's amazing those early days, those people that said, we'll pray for you or get back to me on this or let's see how it goes. A lot of those people did see how it went and it went well and now they're thriving church members, two or three years or even one or six months later, they they jumped in on what was going on. 
And so I'm so glad that, you know, I had a lot of those meetings early on, which at the time were actually kind of discouraging, um, but I was sowing good seeds. Awesome. And, and in time, the Lord gave a harvest to those seeds. And so, you know, I, I, you know and, that, and I think that that's a good word if you're just starting out, and that's also a good word if you've really been successful. I think actually when you've been successful is when it's more dangerous. It's when you can start sowing bad seeds. It's when you can start not doing the next right thing. It's when you can kind of like slack off on... You get complacent the, a little bit. And the things that, like there are some things that you just have to do that make hometown mortgage work. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Like I've got to stay focused on preaching, you know. Uh, one of the things that I do is I follow up with, uh, you know, I, I will send a text to every visitor that visits a church that fills out a card. Uh, you know, first Sunday is like our new member kind of orientation to the church. Like, like it, there's like, you know, our elders, having good elders and focusing on the elders meeting, caring for them. There's some things that I just have to do. Now, there's a lot of part of my job that changes, but there's some things that I just, I've got to stay faithful on these things. And it's like, if I'll stay faithful on those things, you know, this thing That's is, where you bring the most value. But to, when you get right? successful, it's easy to slack off on those things because yeah. those things could be a grind. Yeah. And so I just think that that's where you know if you're doing the next right thing, sowing uh, good seeds, and doing the things that you know really make the organization not quitting on the base things that make the organization the organization. That's the that's the magic sauce that I found. Do you find that you know? Because you're pastor in a church, you've got people from all walks of life and all financial situations. Do you find that highly successful people are thinking differently than others? I mean, yes. Uh, I mean, yes and If no. I'm down and out and not doing well, what would you say to me to get me thinking a more positive yeah. I don't moving know direction? That, I don't know that being... You know, having a good posture and doing things well um, will necessarily make you highly successful. Um, you know, I think I think I think you'll usually be successful. You know, I think sometimes highly successful again is how, how we determine highly successful. It's sometimes just luck. You know, you were at the right place, the right time. You got into the right thing. Um, but I think that the people that generally you know, have good marriages. I'm just going to, let me, you know, yeah, I'll define. Success is not right, right, necessarily right. financial. Generally the people that have good marriages, generally the people that, you know, can keep a steady job, uh, that are good parents, that are, that have, um, you know, that are respected in their communities. I mean, generally those people are the people, kind of like what we've been saying, that, you know, can be consistent and reliable and faithful and have a sense of, of diligence and discipline about them, um, and they can stay. They can be steady at things, and um, and I think it's also too. I mean, I think where I see a lot of, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, Connor's heard me talk a lot about idols. Um, idols can creep into people's lives, and 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 they idols always overpromise and underdeliver, um, and so I think if you can keep yourself from idol worship. You can you can you can have a long run, and an idol that people get into is um, you know for example their work. Well, you know work is a very good thing. God commands us to work; it's very profitable. But if your work becomes the thing, then you know what you'll do. You'll always shortchange your family. You'll shortchange your church. You'll shortchange your community. 
Um, you, you know, you'll 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 grow proud if you're successful, or you'll grow incredibly discouraged if you're not successful. It, and so, the the thing was meant to be God. You know, if your reputation uh, is the thing, well, you probably won't be courageous when you need to be courageous because you'll always be. Well, what are they going to think about me? Right, what are they going to have to right, say about right. me? Well, the thing is meant to be God, and and if He is the thing, if there's this foundation to your life that is unshakable and unchangeable then um, it keeps you from getting into these idols that can ultimately uh, destroy you. I mean, there's, there's different hidden sins that people think, well, I have to have this in my life, and they know it's not really right, but it makes me feel good. And again, if that becomes the thing that everything else kind of serves, those are the things that, like, it's the slow leak that creeps over time, and that's, eventually, and that's things how I see people really make a mess of themselves. And so... Um, the highly successful people are the people that are centered on the Lord and that are faithful. And there is just something about the wisdom of God that, again, you don't have to be highly successful, how we're saying that, but it, it will lead you to have what I like to use the word flourishing. It will lead you to true human flourishing. And you can be, you can truly human flourish and never make more than $50,000 a year or whatever. Right. Uh, or you can be totally miserable and have no joy and peace. And make five million dollars a year, um, and so the the um, you know I think that we in America oftentimes like think about you know business success or money wealth and that is what is flourishing. And again, I don't think that that's unimportant, but true human flourishing is so much more than that. What about community? Is it a community is huge at a church, right? Sure, creating a sense of community. How do you do that? How do you go about? Well, I mean, I, I think people, when they, when they start to have, you know, C.S. Lewis said that friendship is the most unnatural of all the loves. And, and what he meant by that is, you know, uh, you know, since like a father-son or father-daughter, mother-daughter relationship is biological, like you, you take care of your child because they're your child or uh, uh you know, a marriage, there's physical attraction, there's, there's a sense of, like, biology involved here. Friendship, or your business relationship, um, you know, the people that you're friends with in business, well, there's, you know, there's a sense of, um, you know, we're, we're getting something out of this relationship, right? right? And right. so I'm, I'm surviving uh, in this. Friendship, there's no, like, immediate good to it, you know, Right. It, it's it's it only exists because you the, want it to yeah because you you want it to and because there is something right and I would say God designed that man was not meant to be alone uh, and I would say for busy guys I mean especially I mean I, there's a lot of guys in my life stage I mean I got three kids got a you know busy job um, I got all this stuff going on that never make time for real community with other people and they they have to be they have to be pushed to do that. Um, and so I, I just think that is so important, but it's something that the Bible is always inviting us into. The Christian life is never meant to be lived alone. And I think when you find a community of people that are centered around the worship of God together, the mission of God together, uh, there's an enormous sense of community that can be uh, built in that and established. Actually, we were talking the other night about friends of mine that are Christians versus not Christians, and there's just something about uh, when you have a common worship of the Lord, um, that 
and there a common experience with God, a, a common love for His Word that that knits you together in this incredibly powerful way. Um, but no, I think I think I'll say this: I think a lack of friendship is one of the great problems of I mean, for men and women, but particularly manhood. Um, there's a lot of lonely men out there in their late 30s and early 40s, and they've they've got a sense of just emptiness. Um, because they don't have the, those refreshing and restoring relationships with other people. So do Bible studies and things like that give those help people create community? Is that why churches do those kind of things, Sunday school classes and stuff like that? Does that help you build the community? A hundred percent. I mean, people get into those communities. They they start you know growing in Christ together. Or they see themselves growing in spiritual maturity and. In personal maturity, they're stirring one another along as the Bible commends us to do, um, and 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 then they develop friendships beyond that, you know. Right. And so, uh, early on in the church, I said, you know, <laughs> I want to have, I, I, you know, I think that some churches there's kind of no avenues to get to net connected to people. It's very hard to connect. Some churches, it's almost like over-programmed, where it's like we want you to do this with this people, and this with this people, and this with this people. And I said, you know, I want to have two things. I want to have, like, community groups, and I want to have friendship. You know, like, <laughs> there is a thing called friendship that's just, we're not necessarily meeting, we're, we're, we're together because we we're together. We yeah. love each other, yeah. yeah. And so, now, but but one of the channels to friendship, um, and it's not just Bible studies, even though that's a big part of it, uh, it's people serving together. It's, you know, when people, ah, that's good. when people show up and go to Brandon Hill, a community in Clarkston, and go serve there, there's a friendship that just happens that when people get there early at Christ's covenant to put chairs out, you get to know people. It builds a sense of camaraderie uh, that can ultimately develop into friendship. And, and I'll say this for me personally, my friends, my good friends are, you know, along with Paige, are, are the greatest source of spiritual encouragement that I have. Uh, I, and I really mean that. And and, I, and I'm, I'm fortunate to have a great set of friends and that I do love the people that I work with. We have a great you know, I am friends with our staff. Uh, you know, right. there's friendship among uh, you know our staff. Obviously, some closer than others, but there is a great sense of I would say friendship at our church. I mean, I think it's one of the characteristics um, of Christ's covenant. But that's important to you too. Right? Oh, it's incredibly important. Yeah. yeah. Um, so since you've started the church and you've kind of been on your own, is there anything that you've learned or something new that's come about, maybe from spiritual growth or? I mean, obviously, I'd pastored before I came to Christ's Covenant. So, I mean, a lot of, I would say, our system or understanding of discipleship was at least developed in my mind. Now, I mean, I've obviously learned a lot along the way, uh, and I'm learning all the time from our elders, from other staff members. But I think one of the big things, that I and I think this applies to any organization, so what is our goal? We're trying to make disciples, right? And so... We want people to grow in godliness and spiritual maturity. And I think people want, come to us wanting to grow in godliness and spiritual maturity. And so the, the question then becomes, what is my next step, right? And so we have this little rhythms guide. We have these nine behaviors that we really push people to. And these are kind of the expectations. Like right? if you want to grow in Christ, corporate worship needs to be a big part of your life. If you want to grow in Christ and lead your family to love Jesus— Family worship, a time of Bible study and prayer with your family is important. If you want to go in Christ, your own personal devotion, time of your own personal prayer and Bible study. 
If you want to grow in Christ, you need to be generous. You need to love the Lord with your wealth, where your treasure is, your heart will be. You need to um, be in community, as we've just talked about. Have real, meaningful community relationships. Uh, you need to be serving somewhere, you know, giving your time, energy for the broader body. You need to be sharing your faith, building relationships with other people that don't know the Lord so they can come into faith. Uh, blessing the city, which is kind of our justice and mercy ministry. You know, how do we, how are we being good neighbors to our community that we're in? And then obviously reaching the world, how are we part of church planting and the broader expanse of uh, the gospel in the whole world. So those are, I just listed, if you're keeping up, those are the nine behaviors that we're always kind of putting before our people and saying, what does this look like in your life? How are you taking the next step in your devotional time? How are you taking the next step in your engagement in the Great Commission or church planting? How are you taking the next step in giving? And so we're putting that before people, and that gives people a pathway you know, towards spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of organizations, they, you know, if you want to create some like a sense of synergy moving forward, people need to know like what is the next thing that's expected of me? What is the next thing that I need to do? Um, what is the thing that I should be focused on here? And I think that's yeah. what good leaders can do is give people a sense of clarity of direction and have a sense. I mean, I, I've often said a great leader is a person that has a good balance of system and opportunity, you know? And so I think that a strategic plan is important for any organization. However, I think some people are so married to the strategic plan that they miss opportunities that come right under their nose. I think opportunity, there's opportunities that come up that you just couldn't have predicted. That's also a very important part of leadership and a very important part of organizational health. But I think some leaders are chasing every opportunity. They don't know how to say no to a good opportunity. And it might be a good opportunity, but it's not really in the, the best opportunity. On the path. It doesn't a... really serve the plan in any yeah. way. And so I think that that is, I mean, if you're in organizational leadership, uh, to me, like helping your organization understand an expectation, a path forward for whatever it is. Ours is spiritual growth. Ours is the life of a disciple. Um, you know, whatever you're doing, what is that path forward for organizational growth and development, and what is the next expectation? And then that balance of strategic plan, and you you could call it flexibility, or I call it just opportunity. When op- good opportunities come along, how do you know when to take them, when not to take them, and can you be attuned to them? So those are just a couple of, I think, organizational things that are beneficial, whether it's church or if you own a flower shop. Uh, no, it's huge, right? You, and you're giving them some ideas to help them continue to grow. And um, I, I think that you're right. That's leadership. Well, hey, we want to thank Jason for coming today. I really appreciate it. And I uh, hope you all enjoyed another episode of Beach Talks. And uh, check us out on Spotify and iTunes. We've got a lot of other great guests that we've had on. Thank you.